Hey, dear listener, Anthony here. Before we hop into the show, I wanted to let you know about an incredible new resource we just released, The Five Rules of Investing. Dan and I are huge advocates of modeling the behaviors of the people who have done what you hope to do. And who better to model when it comes to investing than legendary investors like Warren Buffett, Howard Marks, and Ray Dalio? This free ebook breaks down the simple time-tested strategies of billionaire real estate investors that you can use to take your investing to the next level. So head over to InvictusMultifamily.com and grab your ebook today. All right, now let's hop into the show. Hello and welcome to Multifamily Investing Made Simple, the podcast that's all about taking the complexity out of real estate investing. I'm your host, Anthony Vecino, joined by Dan Doodles of Mad House on his remarkable Twitter. That's it. That's what I do. This is supposed to be for taking notes, and it is all Look at that little A-frame, little pictures of houses and stick figures. Let's move on to the meat and the potatoes of today's episode. Which, guys, today is going to be a really emotionally charged episode as we dive into talk about why real estate investing is evil. Ooh, and wait a minute, we we invest in real estate, and we are evil as a result. And now I'm going to unpack what all that means. But before I do, let's get to the bad investing advice of the week. Here's my bad investing advice. And usually it's Dan that gives it, but today it's me. My bad investing advice is to sit high on your high horse and look at how everybody else is investing and tell them how they're wrong and never question whether or not you might be on the right track, whether or not you might be doing something wrong yourself and whether or not there might be a better way. You should do what you do, never be open to change, yeah. and and never apologize. It sounds perfect for me. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, like as I started saying this, I know it sounded kind of like hyperbolic and like, okay, Anthony, you're going a little laying it on a little thick. But if you think about it, like a lot of us actually do inadvertently fall into this trap where it's like, Hey, real estate is everything. Listen, real estate, real estate, real estate, or crypto, crypto, crypto. You're like, you know, those people. Like, and it's so easy sometimes to forget like, Hey, there's a lot of ways to invest and make money out there. And just because we drink our Kool-Aid so deeply doesn't mean that other Kool-Aid isn't also very cool. Yeah, I agree. It's, I think it's easy to, um, you know, get caught up in your own thing, drinking your own Kool-Aid and just get so in love with the concept of your thing that you kind of forget that a lot of stuff works, right? And mm. if you took the time, even just a fraction of the amount of time that you spend on your thing and started to learn a little bit about this other thing over here, it could be real estate, it could be crypto, it could be art, it could be it doesn't even have to be investing. It could just be something you're really passionate about. Mm. If you went and took the time to try to understand anything else, you'd probably find yourself getting as hooked on that other thing as you are on the thing you're hooked on right now. So right. Mm. It's it's uh and I think there's some ego tied in there too. I think people just feel the need to you know, reinforce that they're doing the right thing yeah, more yeah. than they're really concerned about actually doing the right thing. They just want to kind of give themselves confirmation almost. Well, as humans, one of the deepest like seated urges that we have is the need to be consistent with our internal image of ourselves and our past actions. Mm. And we'll go to really great lengths to justify where we are and why we're doing what we're doing just to remain consistent. Even if like when we really stop to think about it, like, we don't want to be consistent with that worldview that we have of ourselves or our investing strategies. And so I think just in general, we need to spend less time judging and condemning and more time learning. Mm -hmm. 
right? And being open to the possibility of being wrong and open to the, the, the splendor and wonder of all that this world has to offer. Now, I know this all, this is like kind of a melodramatic entry into the episode today, which is that real estate investing is evil. And what we're doing here is there's a couple things at play. One is we, we're, we're in, we're hiring right now. Um, we're hiring a marketing specialist and we had a, um, interview set up and then that interview, uh, E, responded and said, Oh, you know what? I think I'm not morally aligned with you guys. Um, because I think real estate investing is evil more or less is what they said. And I thought it was really interesting and I won't, and it, and it upset me in the sense that like, I think a lot of people believe that real estate investing is evil or just investing in general is evil or capitalism or entrepreneurship. A lot of things that I hold dear to be some of the most impactful and important things in the universe. Um, it, so it's hard when somebody says like, oh, you're morally reprehensible and I think you're evil. Uh, so I wanted to unpack it and try and look at it from their perspective of like, what is it that makes people think investing in real estate is evil? And let's have a conversation. This person is entitled to their opinion that what we do is morally reprehensible. That's okay. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to try and convince you otherwise, but I, but I do think it's helpful to try and understand their perspective. But if you're listening to this and you and you hear somebody say like you're evil and you probably see this on Facebook sometimes like landlords are the worst like all that try and understand it from their perspective let's let's play devil's advocate for a little bit unpack it and and just have a conversation yeah i guess without knowing this specific person my brain kind of assumes that i don't think it's the case based on what you said uh about this woman but my assumption is that most people that have that perspective of landlords being skeezy and evil is because they had, so they had some kind of negative experience with a landowner or a landlord. My guess is that there was, you know, one or two negative um, interactions that they had with somebody in that category. And they have decided to put a blanket statement on that whole category of people and business. Uh, I think that's probably a little bit of what's going on there. So I don't know for sure, but I know that there is generally kind of a feeling out there among some people that uh, all landlords are rich mm. and uh, all landlords are greedy and they care more about uh, profits and their money than they do about the well-being of their residents. Now, I will say that if somebody does have that mindset that – they care more about profits and money than the well-being of the residents, then, yeah, that's not a good person. Uh, might even use the word evil. It's a strong word, but... That's a strong word. <laughs> it's at least a douchebag, maybe even evil. Um, but that's not... You can't just use blanket statements for anything, in my mm -hmm. opinion. You can't just cast a, a, a net over an entire industry and say, oh, this industry is, is bad. Because um, it's just not the case, right? You have to look at people individually and, let, and judge them on their own moral and philosophical beliefs. But I start from that position and giving people the benefit of the doubt. Now, if, if generally people are good, then I'm going to say that generally entrepreneurs and generally investors are also good. Like the law of big data, there's going to be some dicks in the crowd for sure. And they give everybody a really bad name. But I think generally people get into real estate, yes, because they see a great investment opportunity, they want to make money. But a lot of the people that we talk to, the biggest players, they're all about impact and like making a positive influence on their communities. And they have they play really large roles in the city at large and how they can like make a positive influence. And so I, I think generally 
the dialogue or the narrative that landlords are greedy and just after money, I find it to be an interesting one. And a lot of times people will say things like, well, home and shelter, it's like a basic human need. And therefore, it's evil to profit off of a basic human need. I, I, I find it really interesting how of a, how much of a lightning rod real estate investing is for people in general to say like, oh, that's evil. You shouldn't you shouldn't benefit. And here's the thing is like, what's the alternative? The alternative is, OK, government takes control, runs all the, the housing. And how does that usually work out? Not well. Not great. Like we we have a lot of data points. It's a like, lot of examples of that being tried. I can't say any of them really work well. Just look at the post office versus FedEx. What is the DMV? I mean, it's like, just like. When do you, you really put, want them in charge of your housing? Oh, anytime you put that kind of responsibility of something into the hands of the government, it just gets done poorly because there's no incentive to do it well because there's no competition. So where is the new innovation and creation going to come from? You take away these things, you get rid of Tesla, you get rid of Amazon, you get rid of Apple, you get rid of all the things that people like that make your life easier and better. And, and that's the thing is like understanding the exchange of value in that equation is that we're not going into real estate and just trying to extract value because that's not how the world works, right? Like if you just go and extract, extract, extract and never give reciprocal value, then people will stop doing business with you because short in a, in a market where there's not a monopoly, you can always find somebody else, right? There's always another potential buyer or seller. You got to do a good job. And you got to do good doing. work. So here's another, there was an interesting uh, uh, phrase or way that this person that we interviewed, um, they said that the industry is structured to keep people out of homes. Um, the thing that's disappointing is that I think a lot of people hold the view that the game is rigged. And I think that the game definitely benefits some versus more than others. So definitely there's an aspect of, of fortune and luck and being in the right place, right time, born to the right family, all that, sure. But generally saying the system is structured in a way to keep people out of homes or make it difficult, like I think you got to be very careful when you adopt a victim mentality mm-hmm. in general of saying like, oh, this is designed to keep me out or keep people out. And I've never had that sense with real estate or entrepreneurship. I think it's a game that is hard, period, for everybody. But you can get into it if you if you really, really want to. If you look mm-hmm. at the, the way the tax system is structured, the incentives for investors are insane. And that's because the government wants people to invest in real estate. So that right there says that that's actually, you know, a big push in the door, not, not you know, uh, someone trying to create a barrier to entry. You look at all the subsidized uh, lending programs that are out there that, you know, back in 2006, seven, eight actually worked way too well and got way too many people into homes where they couldn't even afford them. Mm-hmm. Right. And so there's all this government assistance to help put people in homes, whether it be to own homes or invest in properties that get rented out to people who just might not want to own a home or can't afford to own a home. Like all of this is one big effort to put people in homes. And so the the logic that the system is structured to keep people out of homes is, unless I'm missing something very wrong, seems like there's there's kind of a warped perception of of what's actually going on here. So, 
I, 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 th- I think at the core, there's just a lot of ignorance and um, misunderstanding from people about real estate investing or investing in general or entrepreneurship or about a lot of topics that are really easy to get onto a soapbox and take a strong stance about. I think, you know, the, as we kind of talk about this, this, this kind of attitude that uh, we got in this, this message from this individual sounds really familiar to like the Occupy Wall Street movement. Yeah. Um, and, and the, it was the same kind of issue there where it was this misguided perception of, you know, making profits is bad, right? People think that profiting and making money and wealth equates to, um, a lack of morals or bad. So here it's that, that the Occupy Wall Street is like a perfect example here where I think a lot of people think of the game as being zero sum. And so profits are bad in a zero sum game because it means you are taking and everybody else is, is losing out. Mm -hmm. And that's not the game. Well, Apple is what Steve Jobs, Tim Cook, and Patagonia, Yvonne Chouinard, North Face. I don't even know who owns that. These people are in the 1%, right? And they're profiting, but they're profiting because they delivered value. And you agree that they delivered value. Otherwise, you wouldn't have bought their tent and their sleeping bag and the phone, right? And so it's not zero sum. And I think so much of the world operates to think that you doing well is coming at my expense and that there's just a limited resource of success and we need to like split it up equally. And I think that's just where we, we fundamentally diverge as people in how we view it. And so the question I have, you know, what do you do when you come across somebody where they think you're, you just have such morally, you have such diametrically opposed opinions and perspectives on how the world is just keep asking questions. What I do is I ask people around me a ton of questions and try to learn about them, especially if they've got a, a viewpoint on something that seems uh, way off from mine. I, I always want to try to reconcile why that is. Because if I think I've got something figured out and this person over here has a conflicting viewpoint, I want to try to understand and reconcile that. But the more questions we ask each other and the more we talk, the more we realize that we're actually not that far apart. We kind of move in towards the middle and be like, oh, so there's this little minor difference in what we believe, but at the end of the day, it's not that big. It's kind of nuanced, but you got to ask a lot of questions and really dig to kind of figure out, okay, why do you believe this? What's the logic behind it? Where did that belief come from? I come into it more like, listen, we're here and here, and I don't spend a lot of time trying to convince people. I like, never try to convince. Yeah. They appear very far away, but then when you have the full context, you're like, okay, I kind of get that. I don't really agree with it, but at least I understand how you got there. Mm-hmm. But So the weakness with this episode today is that we don't actually have this person here that we can have a conversation and we try and bring her on. Oh my God. Yeah. We try to get to the, the core of where the differences really appear. And so this episode has really just been us um, from our side, you know, not bashing, but, you know, trying to defend or present a different compelling argument. And yeah. And, and honestly, like that, that never really helps convince anybody otherwise. And nobody's ever changed their position because you logically rationalized with them. Like they want to, you got to appeal to emotions and feelings and all these other mushier things. So, but hopefully this episode, if nothing else, it was helpful for us just kind of talk through and maybe it gave you a little bit of, uh, 
some things to think about too, because you probably, if you're an investor, you're going to, you're going to wrestle with this. If you're a real estate investor, you're going to get hate. Like for whatever reason, it's like, it's, it's just one of those industries that it's easy. It's there's, it's open game to, to hate on in the same way that it's okay to hate on, on politicians and lawyers, right? Like it's just open, it's open game or open season. And so you gotta, you gotta either have tough skin or a lot of compassion and a lot of understanding and, um, hopefully this episode gave you a little bit of at least camaraderie to be like, Oh God, thank God I'm not alone. So that's going to do it for us guys. Hopefully this episode was, I don't know, interesting. You probably didn't learn anything about real estate investing. Maybe you just got your, <laughs> thank you for stepping into the echo chamber. Um, <laughs> it's probably, it's probably really all this episode was, but hopefully you got a little bit of value out of it. And if you did, please share this episode with somebody else who you think needs to step into the echo chamber or, um, or step out of the echo chamber. I don't know. Send it to somebody. Share. Sharing is caring. We appreciate it. Go leave a review over on iTunes. And that's it. That's all. We appreciate you. We'll see you next week. Thank you. Goodbye. Bye. Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of Multifamily Investing Made Simple. If you enjoyed the show, could you do us a massive favor? Head over to iTunes and leave a five-star rating and review. Your feedback, it means the world to us as it helps us grow and spread the word about multifamily investing. And don't forget, sharing is caring. So fire this episode over to any friends or family who you think could benefit from learning all about multifamily investing. Thanks, guys. We appreciate every single one of you, and we'll see you on the next show.